Good morning, ladies, and welcome to Parshas Bahaloscha. The last few years, we've covered things such as all the complainers. That was our big topic for the last few years in different ways. By heaping Soah Haron, how the um, the Aron was carried throughout with the desert. And then we said, Uvenocho Yomar, all those Pesukim are in this week's Parsha. We talk about the... Um, then a little bit about the Nasiim. We talk about people complaining for me, then for and in general, but the conditions. Eldad and Maydad take a, a degree of prophecy. Aaron and the Mizbeach and the Chanuk and Hanukkah and with the, the menorah. Um, and Moshe Rabbeinu being the humblest of men. This week, I decided to take up something that's more typically taken up, but it's brand new for me. So um, I am discussing the concept today of we're going to get I have a little different of a spin on the whole story of Rift of Miriam and how she um, spoke to her brother against her other brother supposedly and the whole thing the punishment that she had to go away and she got Saras so I'd like to go in more detail into what's the story with Miriam because it's a very important mitzvah according to some of the commentaries such as Ramban All right, so first of all, Ramban tells us that, that the remembering what happened to Miriam, which is in this week's Parsha, that Miriam spoke, we'll, we'll go through the whole thing in a minute, is one of the 613 commandments in the Torah to remember what Miriam did, just like remembering Shabbos. Zahoras Yom HaShabbos Lekadjo, supposed to remember Shabbos during the week, you know, when you're shopping or when you're doing things, like I guess when you're even doing laundry on Wednesday, you should have in mind doing this for Shabbos. Um, you know, and are remembering a Malik, we're supposed to actually go through the, you know, the details of remembering a Malik. We also have a commandment, according to the Rabban, it's one of the 613 to remember what happened to Miriam. It should be a constant thought, according to Miriam. Other Rishonim don't agree with the Ramban, and they say it's an Eitza Tova. It's a good idea to remember what Hashem did with Miriam. Now, that um, he, Rev. Nevinsal, we're going to be quoting extensively the first part of our shir, the, probably the first third or half almost. Rev. Nevinsal Shlita, who's the holy Rav in the old city of Yerushalayim, and a very humble man. I happened to spend one Shabbos by his house, and I'll never forget it. Any case, um, the Eitzah Tova, he says, if the Torah, if the Rishonim, the early commentaries tell us that it's a good piece of advice to remember what happened to Miriam, Eitzatova from the Torah is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's something that we really, there's a huge reason for us to remember, and there's a lot to be learned here. But the thing that we have to talk about is let's zero in on what was the particular sin of Miriam. Okay, let's just take some of the verses. In this week's Parsha, um, we're told in Perak Yud Beis Pasuk Aleph, but to daber Miriam ba'aron b'Moshe al odos ha'isha kushis asherlakach, the literal verse tells us that Miriam and Aaron were speaking about Moshe because of the literally it means the 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 dark the dark skinned woman that he took. Now they always say some people say that's a lushan of somebody very beautiful, or it could mean actually that was she was color, she was a you know of a different color which means the Torah does not you know, discriminate against colors and our most stupendous uh, converts have been all different colors and ethnicities. In any case, so they speak about Moshe Rabbeinu, what happens? And um, they, they're what are they saying about this woman? We're told by Rashi that they felt that 
he married Sipora, and all of a sudden he separated from Sipora. He decided that he has to practice um, celibacy because he's always on call, so to speak, by Hashem. He can't be with Sipora any longer. So when he separates from his wife, uh, she, she continues and says, Harak ach Moshe dibir Hashem. That Mo, does Moshe only speak to, Hashem only speaks to Moshe that he should be that you know that he has to separate from his wife. Hello, Gam Bano dibir. Also to, to us he speaks. Miriam and Aaron were both prophets as well as Moshe Rabbeinu. They felt this is what everyone how the world interprets this this section. They all say they felt like, what is this? Is this Judaism that he should separate like this from his wife? It doesn't make any sense that people should be like this. And they were questioning. Now, the interesting thing is from this whole thing, immediately Miriam was stricken with Saras, with leprosy, and um, not Aram, but it says, um, it says, but to bear Miriam the Aaron, they both spoke. Literally, we're told by the Mephorshim that only Miriam spoke. Aaron did not. Now, why did Miriam get struck and not Aaron? The rule is that by Tsaras, by leprosy, it's the speaker of Lush and Hara that's, that gets that gets you know struck. And it's not the listener. This teaches an important lesson that the listener of Lush and Hara. It doesn't mean they're not going to get punished. It means Lashonara is so severe that you get immediately no other sickness for no other, you know, sin. Are we struck like this except for Lashonara? But the the um, the particular sin of the speaker versus the listener is that the speaker is more like a mahti. He is he is letting it out in the universe. The the listener is is in total, uh, you know, he's allowing it to happen, so he does get a big sin. But the speaker, first of all, it's more apparent because you listen, you're hearing that that's the voice that's coming out in the world. So that in this world has to have retribution. But really, um, they were both equally guilty, although she got the personal sin. Rukhaska Levenstein's itself tells us, I had to learn it from him, but I'm sure men that know the halacha would learn the proper halacha. And that is that Aaron was her direct relative. And usually you have to go to a Kohen and the Kohen has to say that you can be purified but since she um it, it, but since um he was her relative he couldn't purify her and that means she could have been tummy forever had not they begged moshe to, to pray for them moshe prayed his very short prayer he said a very short prayer for miriam and that was sufficient for moshe Rabbeinu, and she was forgiven so that's the simple meaning of what happened now Let's discuss what the actual sin was, according to Nevin Sell. And I think it's quite, um, I mean, he brings tremendous proofs to what he's saying. And I think what he's saying is, of course, the truth. He says like this, that he, he says, like, usually we think that the, her sin was this horrific thing. Like I mentioned before, that she's telling, well, we're prophets and he's prophets. What's this guy doing? He thinks he's got to live like in a different realm in order to get prophecy from Hashem. Hashem is speaking to us that way. But Rav Nefetzel said he heard from his father-in-law, who was Rav Chaim Zev Finkelzatzal, who was the Mashkiach Pamir at one point. He said, can we really believe that Miriam would talk like that? It doesn't make any sense that Miriam would speak like that. That's not what she meant. And in fact, he's going to bring proof from the Medrash Tanchuma itself and from the Rambam 
to show that that's not how the world learns it, is how the simple children learn it, is not the way it's to be understood. In Parshat Sav in the Medrash, uh, and Rashi brings some of it down, it says, um, it says, Uma Amra Halo Gam Banu Dibir. When she said, we, he, Hashem also speaks to us, and we didn't separate ourselves from, you know, a, a spousal intimacy. Um, um, because if we're going to explain it like this, says the Medrash, it looks like Moshe has an extra gaiva, like he's being extra machmer. Like, what is this guy doing? You think, who does he think he is? That he's, you know, like the son of God or something that he can se separate like this and do such a thing. It says, Halila al Moshe. This is a medrash. Hanoi ki'ilu b'prishus miuseris. That is acting with extra, uh, an extra degree of separation here. Kate said, Nefarashis hemshech What is, how do we understand it? It says, Umam Miriam, shalonis kavalik nuso shal Moshe. And Miriam, who did not have any intention of putting down her brother, even more so a person who puts down his friend, you get even more, uh, it's even bigger sin than the sin of Miriam who was stricken with Saras. We can have even a bigger punishment if we uh, are speaking to try to put somebody down. And she had no intention, whatever. So how can you reconcile the fact that on the other hand, this, it, it, it looks like what she was saying, look, Moshe was, uh, you know, he was such a, you know, look what he's doing, like what he's doing. No, that's not what it means. He said like this, the Rambam says that there are several reasons why Miriam would never have intentions to put Moshe down. She's his older sister. She raised him. She risked her life to save him by the, you know, she stood quite a long time, seven days by the river to watch to make sure he'd be where he'd be taken to. And she was the one who procured the so-called nursing mother for Moshe Rabbeinu. She's the one that risked herself for him. And it says, and she didn't speak against him, but what did she do wrong? The Rambam says, Tasa she equated him with other prophets. In other words, what does it mean? Um, she said, what she was saying was, accidentally, oh, and also it says by Yomru, since Aaron was silent, he's included in all this, because silence is like admission. He says, hello, Gamban of Dibir Hashem. We see, we, we want, we want, this is the explanation, according to Chaim Zeb Finkel. We want to be close to Hashem, just like, um, just like, you know, just like Moshe's close to Hashem. Maybe we should separate from their wives, our wives and husbands. Like that's what it, they were trying to say. They were trying to say, we are, as Nevi'im, we are constantly wanting to grow, which is really phenomenal. That's, there's an in, intimate look inside of two great, great, special, spectacular human beings. And here they see he does an extra act of piety. They're questioning, maybe we should engage in this as well. Hashem also speaks to us. That's what it means. It's the, it's the way you put the dagesh. It's the way you stress this verse. Hashem speaks to us also. Maybe we should be separate from our spouses, not the other way around. So let me repeat what I just said. Usually people make a mistake, young children, or even the way people in elementary school teach the story of Miriam. And they say she had this little itsy bitsy thing. She's saying, I don't understand why he's doing this. 
But if you, it would be the real simplistic way of understanding. It says Rav Nevensal, you would be looking at as if there's a little bit of like a, a, a thing against Moshe there. She's like saying, like, who is he? Like, why is he doing these extra degrees of piety? No, it's the opposite. Miriam was turning it toward herself and Aaron was in compliance. They both felt that they were saying, why are we doing this? Why are we doing more? Moshe did it. We're also hearing Hashem's voice. Maybe we should do it too. That's how she looked at it, which is that he says, in fact, Rav Nevensal said, if anything, if she brings from the Rambam, ta'asa, she made a mistake. It's if anything, shogeg or even ones, one of the two. It's not something they were trying to uh, put someone down or, even, or malign somebody or even say something in a, in a little way. What they were trying to say is that by what, what happened was, says Rav Nevinsel, by comparing themselves to Moshe, they were denying the fact that Moshe had a special status. Now, that's not even such a big sin either, because today says, I believe, who was the Satsar? I think it's Rav Hanan Basterman, Zatzal, Hashem Yimkom Damo. Rav Hanan Basterman says, if we say today that any prophet is to be compared to Moshe, we're guilty of desecrating one of the 13 basic tenets of Judaism. That, uh, that you know, there's Lokumbi Israel, Kamosha. Oh, there was never a prophet like Moshe. In what way? That he was chosen as God's sole uh, messenger to take us out of Israel. And his voice was the one that repeated the Torah to us. And Hashem, so to speak, spoke out of his voice. He had a different type of prophecy. You know, his prophecy was clear versus the other prophets were more hazy. His prophecy could be when he was standing up healthy and other prophets had to get their prophecy when they were sleeping or when they were sick. They had some type of like a epilepsy type of seizure in order to get a prophecy, whereas Moshe Benu got it when he was totally hale and hearty. So in other words, so what we see from this is that Miriam's whole thing was she put it out there that Maybe we should be doing more to get to his life, which was at that point, nobody even, it wasn't even something, it wasn't a Rambam yet. There wasn't a knowledge that you can't get to that level. But says Rav Nevinsal, what they did wrong was they should have deduced, Miriam and Aaron should have deduced that, they should have deduced that, look, if he got a special mission, the fact that he was the one told to stand up on Har Sinai and the rest of us were, were staying behind. That doesn't mean necessarily we're supposed to get to that level, you know? So if anything, she wasn't putting Moshe Rabbeinu down, but what was she doing accidentally? She was putting out in the stratosphere by her speech saying that she could compare to him. It sounds like there's a comparison being made here. Now we're supposed to compare. The Rambam tells us every Jew could be as great as Moshe Rabbeinu in his or her way and get a portion Gan Eden as close as Moshe but not that we have those tools. We're not gonna be able to give the Torah out of our mouths. We're not going to be able to, uh, you know, to be able to seek Hashem so clearly. Nobody is ever gonna be like that. But we in our own way can be the best me that I can be. That really shows something. You know, if you think about it, we have to be reminded of this sometimes. There were millions of prophets in Klal Yisrael. The only this handful of prophets, you know, uh, under a hundred prophets, 50 prophets, let's say, I'm, I, don't, I didn't count 
let's say probably even under 40, I would assume, were for Doros, were, were written down for generations that we have to listen to their words. But there were millions of prophets, says the Rambam, in the Jewish people, meaning look at the level a human being can reach. All of us, this is the potential of a Jew. A Jew can really become, and what is the definition of a prophet? Says the Rambam, somebody who basically rules over his character is called a prophet. That's a prophet. Someone who's, you know, now, so here Moshe and Miriam and Aaron said nothing negative about Moshe Rabbeinu. And she had all those four points from the Rambam. She had, she had no intention of saying bad. The Rambam himself says that. If she had said, why is he doing this crazy Chumrah? That would be putting him down. That's on our, our level, how we'd understand what Gnus means. Rambam said she was not miskaven Lignus. She had no intention of putting him down. She had no intention of saying a negative statement. She was making herself, want, demanding of herself to reach higher heights. That's what she was demanding. We find that the, uh, not only that, she spoke in front of Moshe, who didn't care at all, because we're told in the, in the Pesukim, the way it says, she spoke, and, and Aaron spoke, because he was listening, like a, he's an uh, accomplice. Bim Moshe, they say to in Moshe, which means Moshe was standing right there, and yet he's the humblest of men. He didn't, re, he didn't, uh, he didn't have any, any comment. He had nothing to say about the whole thing. So it was totally non, she had no intention, and she said it right in front of him, and he didn't react in any way. What could be wrong? But look, she struck with Saras, amazing. How is this a Kalvachomer for us, though? It sounds like so minuscule, like she didn't mean anything, but the fact that she kind of gave him this position that was like not really his, that she's already struck with Saras and the whole camp of Israel has to wait for seven days. We're going to talk a little bit about that too at the end. And next week's Parsha, when the 12 spies go out to Eretz Yisrael to spy the land, there's a Rashi there and it says, why is Meraglim connected to Rashi? Is connected to Miriam? I didn't have a coffee this morning, ladies. Why is Baravlin connected to Miriam? To teach us that they didn't learn the lesson. Here, Miriam, who had such great intentions, spoke about her brother and look what happened to her. They are speaking negatively about Eretz Yisrael. But what does Eretz Yisrael have to do with all this? And, and what does it have to do with us? They were speaking about Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, you could think a Talmud Chacham, it's superly, you know, supremely, um, strong. It's a very strong, uh, terrible thing to talk against the Talmud Chacham. It's severe. However, to speak about friend down the street, your neighbor, what's so bad about that if it's no comparison to Moshe Rabbeinu? So, Nevinsal explains to us there, this whole thing that when we speak about Moshe Rabbeinu, they should have realized his status. Whenever we degrade somebody, besides the normal things we're all learning about with Lush and Hara, and I wanted to give a different spin today, says the biggest thing is that we're really degrading Hashem. That's really what's the worst part of the whole thing. We're really saying God did a bad job. He made Moshe the leader uh, because it seems to insinuate, well, we should be doing what he's doing, but you're not supposed to be doing what he's doing. God obviously chose him to be superior to you. We find also when someone speaks badly about Eretz Yisrael, like the Miraglim did, they should have learned the lesson. This was God's chosen country. You're putting down Hashem by doing this, by, by speaking against Eretz Yisrael, you're speaking against Hashem's chosen land. And when you speak about a Jew, you're speaking about Hashem's chosen people. 
When we say this in the morning, we're supposed to remember that we're not just simple people that we could, you know, we're just like everybody else on the street. There's no such thing as a simple Jew. The, uh, the Rambam said, like we said before, the Rambam says every Jew can have a share, can have a chalik like Moshe Rabbeinu in Olam Haba. And it's based on, the Rambam says in another place, it's based on your having one mitzvah done with total perfection. It means no other ulterior motives, totally done with perfect motives. That is your gateway to Olam Haba. That's what we're supposed to strive to do as many mitzvahs we can with perfection. And every Jew has that potential. You have to make the best of who you are and who you can be. And that's the whole sin of Lashon Hara is diminishing, putting down, making a zilzul, a lack of covet, a lack of respect for something that Hashem has created, you know, anything that's created. And also, even even we have to be careful even to have respect for for the non-Jewish world. It says, "But Selam Elokim, Adam, you're diminishing their Selam Elokim. They've got an neshama, they've got an aspect of soul, and we can't diminish that because it says, "Man nafach mitocho nafach." When Hashem blew a soul into man from Himself, there's a spark of godliness in each single human being, and we're we're like diminishing that. That that's the worst part of Lashon Hara that Miriam did, and that's the Kalvachomer that we have to learn, that no matter who it is, no matter how it is, you know, okay, maybe worse in this case, worse than that case, the point is we are diminishing the world around us. We're not giving a step up on who we really are and who we really can be. As of Nevensel, even our body is so godly. He said that the Kabbalists, the Mekubalim, say that every aspect of the human body, like if it's studied by Kabbalah, there's all kinds of secrets even though we know even medically doctors haven't fathomed the human body yet, despite all the advances in technology, the human body is spectacular. We see when it doesn't work a lot, but every time it works, we we should, <laughs> Rabbi Ruchel Lubavitch says that every time you go to the bathroom, you really should send a telegram and who's his days. It means the words are so measured and they cost money, every word, but we don't realize the complication in, you, in using the bathroom, how, how complicated it is that we get to that point. All the all the different organs, everything has to pass through and everything. Unbelievable. Now we're told about if somebody, God forbid, not nobody in this group for sure, but we're told that if somebody commits the tzicha, if somebody uh, is com commits murder, in in Perak, um, or is it gracious? Oh, one more thing. Sorry, left out something left out something. I'm just doing it by heart. And all of a sudden I see there's a place that I have to focus on right now. Um, Hashem and his proof that Rav Nevensel brings that they did nothing wrong is in the following verses. When Hashem spoke, speaks to Aaron and Miriam, he tells them, Shimuna dvarai, listen to me. Hashem is going to come really that the person could see it in full vision. Hashem is going to show all the Nevi'im in a, in a dream. But Moshe is on a different level. He's totally, there's no aspect of hiding from Moshe Rabbeinu with Hashem. It, it, compared to the rest of the world, compared to even the Nevi'im. So we find there that that's the proof that the, these verses, if you notice them, plus if you read the Rambam the right way, the Rambam says she did meant no derogatory feelings whatsoever to Moshe. And this is a big speech to us that the worst thing that we're desecrating 
when we speak any type of Lashon Hara is the diminishing of God's world. The Rambam even says in another part that what we diminish when we speak Lashon Hara ultimately can lead us to a lacking in Amuna and lacking in respect for, for great people in the world. Like that, it can really ruin our whole attitude toward life because we're putting it out there that things are not so important. As far as um, the idea of, says a Pasuk in gracious test Pasuk Vav, Shofech dam ha'adam ba'adam damo yishafech. If a person commits murder, God forbid, with all the conditions that they've got two witnesses and everything according to the Torah, we believe in capital punishment. He has to be put to death because man was made in the image of God. That's the verse in Bereshus. So if Nevinsel asks the question, who is the Adam in this verse? It says that man was made in Selim Elohim. Therefore, if somebody commits murder, he has to be put to death. So Nevinsel said there's really three interpretations. First interpretation is the murderer, which is the pshat. Since a murderer killed somebody who's made in the image of God, only death can bring an atonement. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, according to Nevinsal, he said his father told him that this is speaking to the judge, the, the, the people in the basin, that if you're judging a capital punishment case of someone who committed murder, God trusts you with so much and even, even the witnesses are entrusted with so much because you're the one that's, you're, you are at Selim Elohim. You're in the image of God and you are able to judge such a case. You have a spark of godliness in you and you are able to do such a thing. But the third shot says of Nevinsal is when it says, who's the man we talk about that whoever commits murder should be put to death because Hashem made man in the image of God. Who's the man? He says the Rotseach, the murderer is an image of God. We can say like this. He says, if you're going to say, we've done these dynamics years ago, but here we're revisiting this a little bit, something a little bit from the past, but we're trying to do all new material. Um, we can say that if a person that commits murder is only a messenger, if he, he's only a messenger, let's say Harvey was meant to die, okay? And Jack walked by and, and killed him on purpose, killed him on purpose. We know something from the Rambam that Harvey is meant to die. It's nothing to do with Jack. Harvey's meant to die. Jack just happened to be the vehicle by which Hashem wanted to kill him, right? So why does, why does um, Jack have to pay with his life for something that he's only an instrument in? We don't punish him. Like, why, you know, why should we punish him for such a uh, great you know, thing? Now, we're not punishing him for murder, says Rav Devensal. He would have died anyways. We punish him that he put down his own Salamalokim, that you diminish yourself to such a degree that you committed murder, that you're, you're, you have to, you have it. The only atonement for you is death itself. That's, that's what it's saying. Only death can correct that. So when Miriam spoke Lashon Hara, she was only hurting herself. Like she's the one that was, you know, hit with Saras. When we speak Lashon Hara, the one we're hurting the most is ourselves. On a simplistic level, you may have heard this, forgot who said this from years ago that when you speak Lashon Hara, it says more about the speaker than it says about the, about the subject. <laughs> if you're lower yourself to speak Lashon Hara, it shows more about you, <laughs> what kind of person you are to speak about others than it shows about 
the subject. But in more a deeper way, you are lowering your tzalem elokim. You're saying that I don't appreciate God's world. There, are, there isn't beauty in everyone. I don't see the beauty in everyone. And by doing this, that's you're hurting yourself the most. That was the lesson the Miraglim had to take. First of all, Eretz Yisrael being God's given country. But you're ruining your own Selim Elohim, just like Miriam did, when you don't respect others. When you don't respect yours, God told them this is going to be the land they're going to conquer in next week's Parsha. And they didn't learn. They didn't learn the lesson that don't diminish yourself. When you speak about others, you're diminishing yourself. That's the idea, the simple shot, you know, in Pirkeavos, Ezehu Mechubad Perkdalad, who is considered honorable, he who honors others. You're really honoring yourself every time you honor others, because that means you are noticing dignity. You are noticing beauty. You are noticing greatness. We even understand a simple level, the famous book by Dale Carnegie in the 20s, how to get people to like you. Like he was talking about, um, you know, how to, how, how to make other people like you. So the, the book there, he speaks about that the best way to make people like you is to keep complimenting them and keep noticing all the wonderful things they do for you. But really, it's deeper. When you're complimenting somebody else, you are showing your greatness. You're a respectable person. You see the greatness in, in everyone. You, 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 you see the greatness in the world. And thus, it's easier for you, like we said, according to Rav according to the Rambam, it's easier for you to have a Muna. Because you won't see the greatness in Hashem if you're already not noticing his beautiful world and not appreciating his beautiful world, which should be vehicles by which we can gain more Amuna. How are you going to get there? So we find, he says, there are several people. This is all Rav Nevensal. This is, are his thoughts. How you see how organized he thinks and beautiful and bringing all the proofs here. There are several people in Tanakh who only spoke Lashon Hara to Hashem and they got punished. Moshe Rabbeinu said, he said, they, but they sure won't believe me before he was sent on his mission. Immediately was struck with Tsaras. Um, Yeshaya Hanavi said, I'm sitting in the midst of people with defiled lips. And there was some kind of malach that had to come and purify his mouth. And not only that, I just learned something new. Rabbi Nevinsel said, 80 years later, this sin combined with something other minuscule sin, 80 years later, because he spoke ill about the Jewish people, his grandson Menashe put him to death. His evil grandson Menashe, it's a whole story in itself, but that's really something if you think about it, that uh, 80 years later, and all he's, he didn't speak to any human being, he spoke to Hashem. But whenever we do that, we're, put, we're pushing down our soul. We're making ourselves, we're not feeling we're respectable, we're not feeling the world is respectable, we're not seeing the greatness in the world around us, that's a very important point. There's a story about Elio and Navi that he once said a derogatory remark about the Jewish people, Tashem, and shortly after he was replaced by Elisha Hanavi. So Lashon Hara is not just, you know, the lowered value of the one spoken about. It's you are lowering yourself. That's the biggest problem. It says in Zechariah, and thinking negative thoughts about a person, it's not forbidden, but it's stupid. I'll text you, Bill Bakum. Don't even think Lashon Hara. Why? Because you should, maybe an in our Madrega, in our generation today, if it's your original thought, that's okay. Because original thinking, you know, your Yitzhahar comes to you, but you have to correct yourself right away because you have to realize thinking a negative thought about our fellow man is really diminishing, diminishing that he's at Salam Elokim. Hashem thought he deserves to be on this world. 
you know, okay, we're not talking about, you know, Hitler, Yamashima, or some of our politicians today, but we're talking about Jews, you know, like, you know, or even the Solomon Cuban and Anju, like it's a scene, you know, people are decent, there are decency in the world, and there's a lot of decent people, and that we should be able to see the greatness, the beauty in Hashem's world. And Javitzel brings down He brings down that um, he brings down a Gemara in Erechin, where there's a lot of um, different Chazal that tell us, but just to remind ourselves, we need a pump once a year. So I haven't done this for several years. So I felt we needed a Lashon Hara Parsha. So any case, um, we're going to explain that um, terrible things said about person speaks Lashon Hara. It says, Ki'ilu koper be'ikar, as if he denies the divine. That's according to what we're saying. You're denying that you're failing to see the beauty in God's creation. That's what you're doing. Magdil avonos abla shamayim. Your sins can build up out to the heaven. Roy lasaklo. It's it's worthy of stoning this man. Hakadosh Baruch Hu olam. Hashem can't live with him in this world. Three people are killed because of him. The person you spoke about, the person listening, all these people are going to suffer because of the words you're going to utter. Nigaim buying a love. Your different different plagues come upon a people. You know, we don't know uh, all the plagues that we've gone through. We're going to speak about that soon. That it could be a lot with Lashonar. Lashonar is the main cause of Sinas Chinam, which we're still grappling with. And um, <laughs> okay, another one. Lashonar Shaveh Bechumraso Lishlosh Haverus Hachamuros Yachtav. The Gemara says. That Gemara gives proofs that whoever speaks Lashon Hara, it's like you're doing together avodazara, idolatry, adultery, and murder. You're committing all three of these sins every time you speak Lashon Hara. It's equal to all three of them, and um, it's showing you that it's, it's worse than all three of these averas. That that part was from Medrash Shochato. Now, <laughs> so why said Rav Nevinsal is if it's worth equal to all three capital punishment, things you're supposed to kill yourself for. Why is it that we don't, based and doesn't put you to death? Those three things usually you're put to death for, idolatry, adultery, and murder. He says, because there's a concept, the only idea, the reason why there is capital punishment or any punishment in the world, Hashem does not want to like, you get a slap on your hand when you do something bad. He's trying to make an atonement for us, either to teach us to correct ourselves or it's going to somehow smooth you clean, be the soap, soap and shampoo to smooth you clean. But if we have a situation where it's so bad that there's nothing in this world that could possibly atone for it, even death, that's Lashon Hara. That's why there's no capital punishment for Lashon Hara, because it's really worth worse than all three of those cardinal sins, where you're supposed to give up your life and where you're supposed to, and where you're, which you're put to death for committing one of those sins. So it's very severe, the sin of Lashon Hara. But the comfort here, uh, we're told in the Gemara, that Mita uh, Tova, uh, when you do something positive in that area, it's one, it's 500 times more reward than if you did, did something negative. So if we speak good about somebody, you get 500 times reward compared to speaking Lashon Hara or Every time you close your mouth, I'll call Rega Varega, Sha'adam Chosen Pete. Every minute we close our mouth, we're Zaycha to Orha Ganus, we're Zaycha to something even human beings can't fathom. Why? Because when we're doing something like that, 
we are we are doing the opposite and the opposite gets us points it's very important to remember that look at the positive positive speech commending somebody trying to defend somebody trying to get you know build make somebody's day uh trying to see the good in others all these things are one five hundred we get more reward when we do the positive aspect of it five by five hundred than when you god forbid committed the negative of it really kulo omer kavo that's what we say so many times throughout our davening especially get closer to shema when you get in the Amidah, in the in the Kedusha, uh, we keep saying, the whole thing in the world is to give Hashem respect. Chil Hashem and Kavod Hashem and Kiddush Hashem, all these ideas, that, that's the ultimate, right? To, to, to give Hashem a lot of respect. And if we give that positive, if we give that respect, we really, we really did our basic task in life. That's really what we're here in the world for. If God gave us everything, even though, albeit it's not a positive world that we live in, but there's so much to be grateful for that our body works, that our that the, the beautiful weather, the seasons, and all the millions of things that we have, the food, the, the, the music, the, the beautiful colors and sounds and everything in this world that we live in. And this is only the practice world. This is the test world and the world to come. We get reward for all the struggles we went through. We owe Helat Hashem. We owe him everything. So if we don't pay back, we're being so uh, entitled. We're really feeling that it's coming to me. We're not looking at what do we, what should we be grateful for? We're instead looking at, look what I don't have. We're not, we're not looking at what we do have. And we have to look and appreciate, and we have to see that in others too. Rav Yaakov Helel Shlita, the, the, the Rav and the, the, one of the big uh, gedolim in our generation, Sparty Gedol, and they, um, spoke about the Mehron tragedy. And his spin on it was, if you notice, not one person lost blood. They, would, they all were like strangulated by, by, they crushed each other and they fell on top of each other. They couldn't breathe. This, and it happened on Lag, it happened on Lag Omer when the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying. And it's not for naught that this, he says an interesting thing about Lag Omer of uh, Yaakov Hill, something I never heard before. He said, and you know, he is very into Kabbalah. He said, according to the Kabbalah, we sell, they, the people that celebrate Lag Omer make a big deal out of it. It's not because they stopped dying per se. It's because, and why do we make a big deal of Shimon Bar Yochai? He died on that day, they say, you know? That's not the deal, he says. The deal is that he said he may have not even been nifter on that day, but that was the day that Rabbi Akiva gave smicha to his five new Talmidim, amongst them, of Shimon Bar Yochai, who brought the Kabbalah to the world. And so it was a re, you know, coming back to itself. And what did the students Rabbi Akiva do wrong? They didn't give COVID to each other. And he said, so this, isn't it obvious on Lagba Omer that people have the same, and what do they die of? All the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died that they, that they weren't able to breathe. Askara, the thing that they had, the sickness was a, a shortness of breath. And he says, and wasn't this the whole problem during Corona that people were having breathing issues? Wasn't that the main thing that we all dreaded to have that people were dreading oxygen levels? It's the oxygen that's supposed to be our oxygen is to see the beauty in God's world that's their oxygen for being to serving Hashem is to be able to appreciate the greatness in the world. And the only vehicle by which we could do it, and it's the hardest vehicle, is to appreciate people. Of Nussin Sweet Finkel, the altar from Stabatka, one time I had to go to the doctor. And years ago, they, I don't think they tell oh, yeah, they still do it. I haven't done this in a while with my doctor because I forgot going to the doctor already. But um, 
he would see when the doctor would tell him to stick out his tongue he couldn't bring himself to stick out his tongue to a human being couldn't do it he just opened his mouth but he couldn't stick his tongue out at this human being that when a young student, a young boy would come to him and he was an elderly man and he would stand before his Rebbe asking him a question about something. He had to find a place for him to sit down. He couldn't let someone stand and ask him a question. How can I let a human being, uh, you know, a bun of shamakam, a child of Hashem, how can I let him stand before me? He has to sit down. And we have to have this respect, our davening. Because we're going, this, this, this is again, all from a diminishing. We're about to speak to Hashem, about to speak to Hashem, we're about to talk to him. We have to set up our situation in a way that we feel the respect. Oh my gosh, look at the moment I'm about to have right now. So for the for everything I own in my life, I'm about to express my gratitude and make requests of the, the one that I owe everything to. You know how people, when they're madly in love, which is supposed to be like the flu, uh, person madly in love, they just can't wait for the next um, time they could speak to this person and that next opportunity they could speak. And they're waiting all day for that phone call from the person. You know, uh, this is the same thing. We're supposed to feel like that with someone who's been by our side our whole life and, and is there for us and uh, constantly giving to us. They say a story about the Chassam Cipher that in um, one time there was a beloved Talmud of his who used to go into him every day and ask all kinds of questions. And for a certain period, he noticed Hassam Sofer seemed distracted. He wasn't as warm with him like usual. And the Hassam Sofer told him, I see you notice I'm distracted. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, I really should be giving you more attention. But I'm about to speak to Mordechai Bennett, who was the Gadol Hadur at the time, in three weeks' time. And I'm, I'm preparing myself mentally. <laughs> he was going to speak to a human being, flesh and blood, in three weeks, and he's preparing himself mentally for three weeks. Imagine, you know, how he davened. <laughs> the, 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 uh, you know, like we're supposed to see the greatness, the, the beautiful covet in the world, and that's what we're supposed to focus on. Now, go a little deeper. Let's bring down from Rachimshin Pink as itself. He speaks that um, some more aspects of, 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 of speech that make it so important and what Miriam did wrong that we can learn from. The mouth has more power than any other organ. Nebuchadnezzar, from his, just from speech, he destroyed the base of Mikdash, like he commanded his officers and he just he, he exiled our people. Doesn't that speak loudly enough of what the power of mouth, what a mouth can do? Hitler Yamakshima, what did he do? His speeches. That's what got everybody roused up to, to do all the terrible things they did. And when we speak, um, a person has to know, a person themselves and to whom about their speaking, a person was created alone. So a person should say, the whole world was worthy just for me. The whole world was worthy just for me. This is what a witness for uh, capital punishment has to be told before he testifies. The whole world is created for me. It's something very important. The person has to constantly integrate into their system that for me, the world was created, but guess what? For everybody else, the world was just created. Not just you, anyone you know, person, the Down syndrome person next door, the whole world was created for them, not just you. And we have a gorgeous world. And this gorgeous world that was created, says Hashem Shepinkas, includes spiritual. Like he says, we have the Avos HaKadoshim, we have the Holy Forefathers, David HaMelech, 
Now they say about David Melach, one time somebody approached the Briskarov and they said, when Mashiach comes, I can't wait to see David Melach. Such an inspiration to see him. He said, if you look at him too closely, you're going to burn from his holiness. That's what the Briskarov said about him. That's how low we are compared to David Melach. He said such a holiness from this person that, you know, that the Madrega, that compared to him and us, we would like uh, burn from that. Any case, this gorgeous world was just given for us. Man was created last to teach us everything Hashem created is just for us to utilize and, 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 and improve our character, get closer to Hashem. We're not we're supposed to enjoy this world, but take it all back and appreciate our creator, appreciate the other things we have. Now, he said, if two mice would be speaking, they enter this banquet hall and they see this gorgeous layout and they said, ah, this is all for us at the end. They're all going to leave and we get every crumb or the, or the ants at the end. Uh, you know, they think it's theirs. You know, it looks like theirs at the end. But the truth is, we're, and we as Jews are not supposed to look at it this way. First of all, we have to believe that all these things, all the roofness, all the gashness is for us not for the ants at the end and not for the whatever it is. Everything is for us. It's really there. Everything we have to see in the course of our day, we see a beautiful sunset. It was for us. We were meant to see that sunset. If we see a beautiful tree, it's for us. All the, all the sights and the sounds and the music and everything, it's all for us. Every person, if a person has to say that for me, the world was created, that means we're supposed to view each person as unique in his generation. That's covetabrius. You know, the Rambam says that one of the aspects of kibbutz of the aim, honoring your parents, he says, you're supposed to do it. I heard this from Rechaim Shmulevitz years ago. I saw it in Rechaim Shmulevitz. He says, that's all. He says that um, there's three ways to honor parents in speech, thought, and action. What's thought? You're supposed to internalize one aspect of your parents that unique in the generation. No one compares to them in this aspect. And there's going to be something. And um, it could be despite all odds, it could be anything, but there's something unique about them. And this, it, we have covet abrius, you wanna honor people, we should be able to see something unique in everybody around us, something unique. Except for example, there's certain people, they have no understanding of how somebody could ever come to get angry. No, they, they can't fathom. To them, it's like so despicable, they don't have a, a, a drop of anger in their body. You know, it's, it's really incredible. You know, the, um, the, uh, I have one of my children, uh, one of my children, the worst thing they ever do when they get angry is something is they stamp their feet or they just, you know, like whatever, they, nothing. They, 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 they don't have a drop of anger in them. They really don't. Any case, the, um, but no two people are alike. We think when we, in the way we look at the world, we see that we have a certain approach to the world and there's one way that we have a holiness in us that Hashem loves and that we love Hashem through that one aspect, whatever it may be. And that one trait that we have that's so unique, we can't tolerate in other people. We can't understand how they don't have that trait, but they are excelling in a trait that we don't have at all. <laughs> and you know, that that's, that's the problem. That's what we can't understand other people. That's why we're commanded to judge people favorably because we don't see the, uh, the other side of the person. Now, they always say that's one way to look at it. You have to look at the other side, but it's more than that. We have a certain, our whole Tsugang, our whole approach to life is, is, is through the lenses that we have where there's one tremendous meter we possess. And through that meter, we see everything. And anyone who's not in that lexicon that we're in, who's not in our little bubble of people that are similar to us, 
Um, we can't understand how they can behave that way. And they don't understand us because they have other traits that we can't even believe. It's, we're, it's like it's totally another language. Now, with, if we can see a little bit of an idea with that as a mother. A mother loves each one of her children, but in a very different way. And she sees the good points of each child in a very different way. And Hashem has that relationship like we're his only child, each one of us in our own unique way. Um, the, uh, but sometimes we can't understand the other person, but that's because we haven't yet explored their unique gift that they have that nobody else has. Something else that's very interesting. Sometimes um, we find that a person has excelled in something today and he can't understand why other people. He gives an example. He says, today a person davens well in shul. This halavai, we should all get there very soon, completely all the time, forever without mass. Any case, the um, person's in shul and you know they're davening. They have a particularly inspired davening. And then the chazan starts zooming through the tefillah and the person says, how could the chazan daven like that? Well, he says, look at yourself. You daven, well, yesterday you were not inspired and you davened like that. And today he's not inspired. So, I mean, what do you want from him? You're, you're just, you have, sometimes it's just when we're feeling on the moment a certain way, we cannot tolerate other people feeling, not feeling the way we're feeling right now. It's because right now we're not, we're feeling differently. You know, we're inspired and they're not inspired, but we have to be able to at any time see that there's a different side to the person. There's different times in this person's life where they are inspired. You know, we go up and down even with our good meetups, you know? So sometimes people are less than usual. So it should be very hard for us to speak about somebody. There's a big cloud. Rabbi Lowy mentions it very often. A lot of people, um, anyway, when we have to learn about how to speak, when we're asked questions about Shaduchim, it's, uh, it's a basic tenet of Hilchas Lashon Hara that you can never place a judgment. If someone asks you, does he get angry? If you saw him get angry, you're not allowed to say he's an angry person. You can say, I saw him on this occasion get angry. If, if you think it's something worth saying, if, I mean, everyone gets angry sometimes. So, you know, if it's something that you feel that, um, that what's it called? It's really incredible. You could say it, you could say exactly what you say. And you're not allowed to exaggerate. Or you can never say, I don't think it's for you. Unless it's like a major thing there, you know, he's a, doesn't believe in Judaism or that he's an idolater or he's a murderer or something. Then you could say, I don't think it's for you. But otherwise, who are you to make the judgment call of what a person, another person would like? We can't make judgments on other people. We can only say what we witnessed, what we saw, and, um, and only for a purpose. And we cannot judge another person because we have moments of inspiration, moments of non-inspiration. We have strengths to our character, and we may not notice the person who has other strengths that by Hashem are just as beloved. They're just as beloved. He gives an extreme example of somebody he knew, this extreme, a wife of a Rosh Hashiva. And he said, and suddenly this woman became like really strong in her Judaism, passionate. And she started criticizing her husband all the time that he wasn't davening up to her standards. He, she, a Rosh Hashiva, she was telling her husband, you know, how he's, he's lacking in Kavana and this kind of thing. And then she also, with her neighbors, she noticed the woman that was eating Tanuva without a Hefshire or something like that. And she was furious. And then Rav Shemshim Pincus mentioned to her, he said, you're ruining your marriage and you're ruining your relationship with your friends. And yet you're so careful of being, being the doctor for halacha, you know, like, so that she's stressed, but she can't see it in other people that they have other strengths. That's what we have to work on and seeing the other Nakuda of Kedusha, because we can learn a lot from it because it's probably something we aren't strong in. 
that's it. But we shouldn't be hard on ourselves when we don't judge favorably because of all people, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, in a different vein, of course, but he came out of the cave, right? After 12 years in a cave. And he sees people plowing and planting the land of Israel. And he says, him and his son, Rav Lezer, he says, he says, these people are, are working and not learning Torah day and night. They're not in the madrega of bitachon and holiness where all they should do is serve Hashem all day and forget, uh, and forget you know, planting and plowing. You think they have to make efforts to, to serve Hashem? He went back in the cave for 12 months and 12 months is equivalent to Gehenna. They had to go in his own Gehenna, a purification process to realize you can't. Now it's, it's very hard when a person's on a high madrega it's very hard not to see the faults in others. And they're true. And they're true. They weren't on his madriga. But to not tolerate them is the thing that we have to work on. Because the intolerance is where we're failing to see all the great points about them. And he went back and he corrected himself and he saw the goodness in everybody else. We're almost finished. once said, by nature, when it comes to somebody else's physical um, possessions, be it their looks, be it their possessions, you know, the stuff they own. We always see what they have that we don't. You know, you say, oh, I wish I had her, her body. I wish I had her, her eyes. I wish I had her makeup. I wish I had her clothing, whatever. Um, and when it comes to their spiritual things, we always say, eh, you know, I, I, I'm better at her in this. I'm better at her in that. We're supposed to do the opposite, says Rehudalev Chasp, and he says, when it comes to their spirituality, we're supposed to say, what does she have that I could learn from? And when it comes to their physicality, we're supposed to say, what do they need? Isn't that the way to do chesed? Everybody needs something. What do they need? Not what do they have? So the, the, but the Yitzhahara tricks us into always seeing physically that we never have enough because that makes us strive for physicality, which is not the direction we're supposed to put our focus on in this world. And, and instead, um, when it comes to spirituality, we're, we're not even working on it. We're just lauding ourselves and patting ourselves on the back. Now, today we said that the, we can't diminish ourselves. We can't put ourselves down by, by speaking negatively, you're putting yourself down. And we shouldn't put ourselves down at all. Today, we need a lot of, almost everyone in the Muslim world today is saying, you know, used to be, well, look at yourself, how bad you are. You have to, you have to grow. But you have, we need that stress. Asher b'charbana. We can say every day that Hashem chose us. We're chosen people. We have special traits. And Hashem personally yitzarta. Personally gave me my neshama. It's a, a gift from God. We have to look at ourselves as special people. And we have to view everyone around us as special people. So that's basically the two things we just mentioned is it, we, we can't, from from Nevinsal, the basic thing is putting out any kind of lush and horror, what's wrong with it is diminishing creation. We shouldn't diminish, we should see the greatness of everything, even in an ant, you know, A-N-T, not A-U-N-T, an ant is even bigger than that. And um, in, in, in anything, we should see the greatness, see the beauty of, of God's creation and, and, and people specifically. And that's where we'll develop a more muna from, from noticing the good. And we and the kedusha and every Jew, according to Rav um, Shimshim Pincus, to know that bishvilini vraha olam is for each person. The kavod hazulas is to see that great trait in each person, worthy of the whole world being created for him. That's really how we're supposed to see it. Now, Miriam, the whole klal Yisrael waited for her for seven days. First of all, I heard from the Mikdash Halevi. He says the fact that 
they all waited for her shows that she it was not such a big sin it was she was to me immediately atoned for by having the seven day wait and she was worthy of being accompanied because she accompanied Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, now, the, the, the Rav Chaim Mintz from Ura, who wrote a sefer called Eitz Chaim Ala Torah, and I only have two volumes and I'm hoping to get the other one somehow. He says that the following, he says a great lesson. He says, Miriam, what was she rewarded for? The whole class were waited for her because she waited. And what was her waiting about that she stood by the banks of the of the Nile watching baby Moshe and the basket and what would happen with him? What will happen to him? She wasn't looking because she felt, um, uh, you know, there was something that she's curious or something she's going to do. No, she was waiting to see how Hashem is going to save him. She knew her brother had a glow about him since he was born. And she was waiting to see what Hashem would do with such a situation. And also to be there in case she could help in some way. We minimize waiting sometimes. If we have to wait for a shear, if we have to wait for a guest to come, if we have to any type of waiting to do a mitzvah, look at the reward Miriam got, that the entire two and a half million people waited for her, that that waiting is a big deal. We shouldn't minimize it. If you have to, you know, sometimes we like, I'm an impatient person by nature. I'm saying it right now, I'm confessing to my sins. And it's something I've had to work with. And, you know, and I've often like, what do I do when I'm waiting? I have to think of something to do. And it's, it's good to keep yourself busy. It's good like the men that take a safer when they have, you know, the waiting times. Uh, they said certain people were Messiah uh, Gemaras by the time they had to wait for a chuppah to start. You know, it, uh, there's a lot accomplished during waiting times. But more than that, just the patience of, you know, pre preparation, about to do a mitzvah, you know, just to be able to be even patient about it, to be patient, I have to wait. It's not a waste of time, says Rav Chaim Mintz, that, um, and waiting is a big reward, and more than we can fathom. One time, um, the, uh, somebody, Rav Chazisel from Kelm once said, you know, for a small mitzvah, you can't imagine the olam haba you get. So somebody said, saying Baruch Hu, Baruch Shmo, you get like a real a reward. He said, Baruch Hu, Baruch Shmo is not the smallest mitzvah. He says, just standing in a room and thinking about Hashem for one second is the smallest mitzvah. And you don't imagine the reward for that. Every little thing counts. And waiting is one of those little things. Shemshin Pincus says, we can't fathom the reward of a small mitzvah. A small mitzvah, just standing by a, a bank, a, a, a river bank. That he said, like, for example, if you get a tie, if he was talking in the men's terminology, and the tie is black and white, but it has some little threads of green throughout it. That little green really makes the tie. Or you know in decorating, you always know this, you have a certain color in the room and then you just put somewhere, either flowers or something that's another color. That, wow, it beautifies the room. Or how if you have two colors in a bouquet, much nicer than one color. One color is nice, but they kind of enhance each other and it pops, it makes the other thing pop if you, if, if you know what I'm talking about in the the color uh, scheme planning of rooms, but nothing's too small. Those little colors make such a difference, such a difference. And, um, or, or like if you examine a flower, it's unbelievable, the symmetry of it. And then that little thing in the middle of it or, or whatever comes out, all those details is what make it, what, what makes it beautiful. And we, when we do little things, we should not minimize it. We get a lot of reward. And, and, and then the mitzvah is done with shlemus. He gives an example of Shem Shem Pincus. He says, like, if there's a mother 
and the child wants petel. It's a drink in Israel where you have like some kind of syrup and you add it to water and you make this uh, sugary, nice drink, which is probably not very healthy. But in any case, the child wants some, they're very thirsty. So the mother puts the petal in, she puts the water, but she's very busy. So she doesn't bother to stir it. He says, do you know how much reward you get for stirring the drink? Because it's putting the extra, first of all, love, and it tastes different, tastes much better. Every little, we can't minimize what a woman does. All those little extras that we put in child's lunch. If a person thinks to put a little note in the lunch of somebody they love and tell them to have a good day or the extra little touch. I remember after my mother passed away about a year after, my mother used to put a napkin in our lunch bags and I didn't follow that practice. I, I, unintentionally, I just didn't think it was so necessary. And one time I was packing up my kids' little lunches and I started crying because I remembered how my mother used to put, you know, na napkins and all the little details she put in the lunch. And um, like, um, you know, it says a story about, he says, if, um, if you hear somebody, he says, he gave an example for boys, if you're boys in the yeshiva and there's a pitcher of tea and one boy says, it's not hot enough. Somebody should take that initiative, run to the kitchen, give him a hot tea, you know, because that's what he's hinting at. It's a small thing, but small things, and they're not on your mitzvah, but the small things add up and they're big mitzvahs in their own right. Look at this. We learned that from the way they waited for Miriam, just for standing there doing nothing. She gets such a huge reward. Yisod Bisharish Havoda, who is a very holy man, that he writes how to serve Hashem. He, they know about his, during his lifetime, if he finds something disgusting in the street, he would cover it up with sand. Why? Because he said, if I encountered this and it was repulsive to me, why should the next person and all the following people be repulsed? I'll cover it up. And here's a person that has better things to do with his life, so to speak. <laughs> but yet little things that not to hurt people, not to have things blocking in the street for other people to trip on. All these small mitzvahs, they mean something. So mitzvahs, even the small ones, even waiting is a big thing. And remember that if we diminish somebody, you're showing how diminished you are. You're not seeing the true beauty of Hashem world. You're not using your appreciation muscles. A Jew is here to be a modeh, a, a Yehudi. Yehudi is supposed to appreciate. Appreciation means you're looking outside of yourself. You're seeing the other. You're seeing the greatness of something you've received. You're not feeling entitled and you're not looking for more of a handout. And let us all take this upon ourselves. Amen Hashem. And it'd be another additional aid for us to refrain from diminishing anything. Because we should, we should be at the positive talk is so good for people around us and so good for the world around us. I thank you for listening. And I hope to speak to all of you again next week. I have a little bit of a thing I want to do. Um, I'm hoping next week we're going to start part of the Parsha. I, I've been wanting to do this for weeks, but I'm trying to incorporate it next week. Just like these prophets worked on themselves, even Miriam demanding more of herself to be more like Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, the sins of Miriam, I mean, that's why she got it in this world. She has nothing left in the world to come to get punished for because that was such a ridiculous, but to the world, it, it sounded a little bit diminishing. But in any case, how she demanded of herself, we're gonna, I have some practical ideas that we should maybe renew. We should have done this before Shavuos, but I was busy with Megillus Rus, and I now want to work on something. I know we're just about to hit summer, but summer is the most lax time of year. And we shouldn't come into Elul empty-handed. So I have a whole program in mind that we should install and institute in our lives that I want to share with you from Victor Miller and from others. And um, I'm going to incorporate as part of the Parsha next week. So I thank you for listening. And I thank our fantastic hostess with the mostest, Rivka.
Shavsa for everything she does for us. Thank you. Have a great 